Hello, Brandon Gore. Hello, John Schuler. How are you doing on this beautiful day? Awesome, man. Oh, I'm doing great. That's good to hear. Yeah, yeah. rolling along. Rolling along. Got a lot along. of cool stuff to uh, concrete and stuff to talk about today. Yeah, it's. I mean, you had some eye-opening experiences the last few weeks that uh, that I think it would be cool to talk about. Today's podcast, a few things. We did a podcast last week. We actually did two podcasts last week, but yeah. one of them was addressing comments that are being made by other companies about us. And we addressed those things and got some blowback, you know, expected. Sure. Uh, yeah, we, expected. We, weren't, we weren't, you know, thinking that we would address these things and people wouldn't have an opinion on it. But we addressed those things and there was, you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, dissenting comments on social media and that's fine. But we mm-hmm. want to address those things on this podcast, but we also don't want this podcast to just be BG and John spilling the tea. Although I think that's what yeah. we're going to title this podcast, BG and John yeah. spill the tea. Spill the tea. We'll, we'll, we'll address those things, but we also are going to talk about concrete. So we'll just kind of intersperse throughout this conversation, address these things as we go, but also keep keep this podcast on concrete as well. And, you know, I think going forward, we, we don't want to make this podcast about me and you just every time somebody has something negative to say, we got to address it. Like we ignore that yeah. stuff most of the time. But oh, we do. That's the hard thing. I know. Yeah. But sometimes we will address it. And I think this is the right place to address it. Not on whether Facebook or Instagram or whatever. The problem with those platforms is people, they kind of become keyboard warriors. And yeah. they make a lot of <laughs> accusations kind of. and allegations. Yeah. And, and they don't have any data to back that up. And it's not good. It, there's no meaningful dialogue that happens on those platforms. It's just people throwing punches back and forth. Right. We're not interested in doing that. So people can say whatever they want to say. That's fine. That's, you know, I, I read something a well, long time wait. ago. Well, hold on. I read something a long time ago Sorry. that other people's opinions of me are none of my business. And they, they truly aren't. I, you know, it's none of my business. What I want to do, and I think you agree, is let's not, let's not address those things via typing on a forum where it's just going to be a back and forth and there's no resolution. Let's address those things on, on this platform, which is uh, the Concrete Podcast. And we don't have to address every single one of them. You know, we don't, we don't reckon to do that. But, and also invite the people that make the comments on to discuss their side. Cause I definitely want to hear their perspective on how they arrived at wherever they, they are. Sure. We've already done that this week. There's some people that made comments and we invited them on. They never responded. So I'll take that as uh, they declined. The opportunity was presented to them to come on and, and discuss their perspective. Well, actually I'm going to interject. Actually one person has been, and he has directly declined several times. So, and that's fine. I mean, that's all right. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. I mean, you know what? It's, it's hard. It is hard. I get it. And I still believe that there's sometimes people, if they come on with a conversation with us, if I was an outside, not knowing, you know, would be either, Hey, you have to have pom poms and be a cheerleader or B you're going to get attacked. Um, and that's never the way I, I mean, these, these kind of conversations are great. We may not. And I said many times before may not agree with a direction that somebody's either going or, or trying to go. But there's legitimate shop talk. Uh, all of us have done this long enough. We've used various materials, various vendors. Um, so, yeah, but I'm going to say that the, the honesty that comes out in shop talk, hearing it from two, two people in a podcast, as opposed to a group of us all together, I guess can be shocking. Yeah. And uncomfortable yeah. to say it nicely. 
Well, with all that being said, let's just get right to it. You ready to get to this podcast? Yeah, I got a first one before we open this up. Oh, okay. Well, let's hey, you know, last week we talked about the um, end of March. Martin and Ashley are coming out. For the for Concrete the Design workshop. School workshop? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so, end of March may or may not work. I don't know. Uh, oh. Here's here's why. Let me tell you why. Oh, no. Yeah. We have spring break in March uh, for our kids. Mm-hmm. And actually, no, we have it the first week of April. So first week of April for us is spring break. But I looked in a lot of schools across the United States have spring break all of March, from March 1st to the end of March. And then a lot of them have like ours in April. Yeah. Mine are in April. Yeah. And the problem with that is, you know, a lot of people might be like either on vacation or just going off or on to vacation right right before or after our class. And that's going to be really hard. If somebody went on a week vacation okay. for spring break and then they're like, well, you guys have your week class, but I just got off a week of vacation. I can't leave and go on another week. I think the timing might be bad for late March. So I have a really big project tentatively scheduled for all of February, the entire month. And I'm waiting to hear back from the client if it's a go or not. They're supposed to let me know today. They need a few more days to try to work out some financial stuff. If that project goes forward, then I can't do February. It'd have to be probably mid-April. So we miss all the spring break activity. If yeah. that project for some reason is postponed or just doesn't move forward, then February opens up and then we could do uh, mid late February, which would probably be really good. That's, I'm telling you, man, that's cold or wet, rainy season this year. Uh, I, who I, cares? Would say the I don't other care. It's inside. We're not outside. We're not, we're not outside doing the class. We're inside. But it's Napa, though. Who cares? You haven't been, oh, I'm telling you, there oh, is. Oh, my God. There, t- right down the road from his place is this amazing, I forget, the Oxbow. I mean, this is amazing. Things to do there, man. Dude, I'm going uh, there to learn. I'm going there to have discussions, to teach, camaraderie. I'm not going there for the food. I'm not going there for the weather. How many classes did we do in Arkansas where it was a blizzard outside? Or it was like, you know, blazing hot and humid. The weather is irrelevant. We we, we do class to do Everything's green and beautiful. Ah. 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 Well, we'll see where it goes. Yeah, we'll see where it goes. I'm waiting to hear back. I, I, like I said, I hope to hear back today. They said they need a few more days to try to get the finances in order. All right. So anyways, we'll see what happens. But that's where we're at. And I've been meaning to contact you and Joe about it and, you know, just life. Well, I'm shooting. I'm saying April. End of April. Well, you say whatever you want. I know. My schedule might be full. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Enough of that. Let's get to this damn podcast. Are you ready, John? Are you ready? I am ready. Let's do this. Hit me with it. Number one, temperature sensors. People, two podcasts back with Joe Bates, we talked about temperature sensors. Maybe it's three podcasts. I can't remember. We talked about temp sensors. And there's actually been a run on them because if you go on Amazon, they're sold out now, which is pretty pretty amazing. Uh, We're getting data back. People are using them and they're starting to, to share the data with us. And it's very interesting. And it's so great that people are going down that road to collect this data because it's data that is so important to knowing what your concrete's doing, knowing what's the right time to pull, knowing if you're getting to the temperatures you need to get to. So do you want to talk about that? Well, it's hard data. I mean, uh, data, data. So many people. So I think data data was a guy on Star Trek, right? No, that was data. I thought it was data. No, data. I don't know. He was the cyborg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Humanoid cyborg. Yeah, Yeah, he wore the cool sunglasses. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So... uh, (laughs) I love this right now. I, I thoroughly enjoy that these would be available. Maybe they've been available for a while for people to use. Because prior to over all these years, I'm 10 minutes, 15 minutes from my shop. 
And my wife will tell you how many times, you know, I come home for an hour, run back down all night long, you know, in, in material designing and stuff to have the kind of information available for tech support so that I, you know, actually relay real information rather than just conjecture. What's great about this is now with access to these, people are coming back and going, oh, John, now I see what you're talking about. Or, hey, this is what's happening in my shop. This is what I'm seeing or not seeing. And what can I modify? Where should I be? Uh, what did it, how does retarders, you know, change what I'm seeing? And no, it's been great, man. It's, it's been great. And ultimately it's going to continue to elevate people in their shot, elevate their success when they have hard evidence to go by in what they're doing and what they're trying to achieve. So that's awesome. Sorry, I had it muted because I kept coughing, so I apologize. I'm like, did I lose you? No, did you didn't I lose me. You? you just don't want to hear me cough. Right. <laughs> Pretty sure I got pneumonia. Still, I'm, I'm still 99% sure I have pneumonia. Pneumonia. I was getting over it, and my wife's like, you have to hang the Christmas lights. You have to hang the Christmas lights. I'm like, fine. So I went out and spent all day Sunday hanging Christmas lights and putting up luminarias because everybody on this, in this neighborhood has luminarias, so I have to go out there and do that. Anyways, three hours out in like 30-degree weather, and here I am sick again, but... Such is the life of uh, of a suburban dad, I guess. There you go. So yeah, the temperature sensors, the the data is super important. But there's something. What I wanted to hit on is something interesting: is the quality of insulation and how that Correct. plays such a big factor. Yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. Well, there you go. There, there are so many caveats to this. Again, one of those John talks about it, like what I recommend in versions of insulation, which specifically I'll say, I, I recommend the, I think they're really eight and a half pound or eight pound, but I call them nine pound moving blankets, the heavy duty moving blankets. And a lot of people just take that as, you know, so they just get whatever's available to them and moving blankets, three pound, four pound, five pound. And what we find is insulation and the quality, let's say the thickness, the amount, anyway, the way to trap that heat and create the ambient steam environment has as much to do with the concrete as the insulation and the heat around it. So if, if you're not effectively or as effectively trapping the heat, cause that's really what we want to do. And that's heard from me. Oh, I, you know, I just turned my heat blankets up higher. Well, you know, that, that could come at a cost. I mean, there's, there's a potential side effect to that when you are, you know, bringing heat from one side of our concrete. So if, if you can insulate better, trap the exothermic heat a little bit better, and then not rely on so much of an outside heat source to do the work, <clears throat> the quality of the concrete will be even better. So that's another thing that's, that's popped up. And so guys are, uh, picking up, the heavier blankets uh, moving forward. But uh, this is Serjo Rojas has got back to me from Florida instantly. He was one of the first ones that called me back and uh, called me up and said, Hey John, I picked these things up and my concrete's only seeing 90 degrees. Now, again, he's just so put a, he's casting on steel tables, you know, the quarter inch steel plate and doing these kind of things. I'm like, uh, so our first thing was like, Oh, okay, well here's some things to modify but I didn't think about like, well, let me ask you a question. Are you adding retarder? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, take everything I just said and throw it out. <laughs> you know? Because if you were hitting 90 degrees, but you had put the retarder in, 
what retarders will do is change the spike profile. I mean, you won't see such a high spike. You'll see typically 5-10% lower temperature, but that temperature will plateau for a longer period of time, which actually is what we want. It could be a good thing because on the next one, he left the retarder out, and then he called me like, ah, now I see what you're talking about, and he hit 115 degrees, 120, is what I would normally expect. <clears throat> but because of the quality of his insulation, then it it lowered, it you know brought the temp down lower faster than I would be happy with. So so same, he's going to be updating his um, insulating blankets and stuff, and and trying to get a better plateau which ultimately is just going to increase the total quality of what he's doing. So that's, yeah, I that's remember awesome. <clears throat> back in the day, a lot of people were doing foam. They were doing felt plastic blankets, then foam on top if it's a flat piece. And that right. foam just acted again as, as just another layer of insulation that I think would help, but it has to be a piece that's conducive to that. If it's three dimensional foam's not going to do anything. No, that's a good one. So that, that is actually pretty good. But some, like I was talking to Zach, there was times he was putting foam in between the heat blanket and the concrete. Well, the difficulty there is foams, how do I say it? It's, it's, a, it's a better absorber of heat and reflective of heat than the blanket. So what happens in that situation is he would need to turn his blankets up on high because it would take so much longer for the insulate or let's say the heat value of your blanket to get through the foam. Yeah, the blanket should, the heat blanket should be below the foam. Set to low. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Not, not yes, above yes, it, set yes. to high. Yeah. So we, we were talking about that this morning, him and I. And, but, but all of this, which I love, is bringing it to the forefront rather than uh, John said, hey, yeah. I talked to John. You know, hey, you know. So this is great. I, I really, really, and, and encourage anybody, whether you're using Maker Mix or not, you know, who knows? Maybe someone else's training course at some time goes, hey, I had this great idea for these Wi-Fi sensors. Oh, no doubt. That'll definitely come up. You never know. Uh, but that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. I mean, if that And I helps... definitely don't listen to the Concrete Podcast. I just had this, came out of nowhere. It's an epiphany. If, if that helps elevate the game or let's say the quality for everybody, and you know, the, the what do they call it? I don't know. Fix the hole in your boat so it rises or something. What is I that saying? I don't know. I don't float know. your boat, I don't all know. the boats, something like that. Anyway, I know I'm butchering it and I apologize. Yeah. So here you go. Uh, technology, it's great. Um, and it's going to bring a lot of information out, very valuable to everybody. So pay attention. I think I'm going to post 99% of it on the Kodiak page, the ICT page, not because I want to not share it with other people. It's just that I think some of the other pages may not, may not find it. Um, I don't know. as valuable. Yeah, exactly. Well, the other interesting thing of that, of that data, data, whatever you want to call it yep. of that data, I say data. The other interesting part of it is the steel tables are keeping attempts lower than we see on melamine. Right. Yeah. And we, we knew that from dusty shop, but we didn't have any hard, data like this that's tracking it to confirm it. We just had, we flipped it over and we're like, whoa, this isn't as hot as it should be. But, you know, we, we didn't have um, monitored every 30 minutes or hour readings of what, what's going on. And that to me just goes to confirm that people casting on steel really need to start thinking about heating that table from below in some way, whether they put heaters on the yeah. table and insulate around it to get some heat so that steel isn't being a heat sink or doing what a few people, I think Ala Linetsky is one of them, 
Um, who else? I don't know. Oh, that, the heat coils. Yeah, yeah, Dusty Baker, where they Dusty. put radiant uh, heating underneath the steel, and they can turn it on or off. Um, but that'd be a really smart idea for a lot of people, and it's not that expensive. Well, and to a certain temperature. Exactly. Now, I, yeah, haven't, not I haven't gone back it. to him yet. Yeah, but I did call, call from something, again, casting on steel tables. But he had his table up at 85, 85 as I remember in the conversation, maybe been a little bit um, higher. But he, what he was calling me about to say, like, wow, hey, John, is what, you know, what could I have possibly done wrong or, or whatever the case may be? Because, wow, this time the, the mix really seemed like it was kicking off quickly. Um, so immediately, you know, I pulled batch tickets, lot numbers, you know, blah, blah, blah. And like, no man, formula's the same. Well, hold on. You know, did he, did he have the heat table on before he cast? Correct. Oh, well, no, he, he didn't have the that. heat. So his shop, he had heated up the shop. It turns out. So that alone, you know, let's say the reverse of what we talked about in this case, same thing that steel now just sucked the coolness out of the mix to try to find a quick equilibrium. But by doing so, created the internal cascade of the concrete. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of issues with off. steel. Steel offers benefits for sure. Large yeah. castings. I know Dusty's getting ready to do a piece. It's like 18 feet by six feet. It's an Island, huge wow. Island. And steel really is one of the few materials you can do those size pieces with. It's amazing, but there's so many downsides to steel, specifically temperature is, yeah, you yeah, want to cast hard. on it at 60 degrees, if possible. Yeah, I would say 60, no more than 70, if that's possible, which could be very difficult in summer times, of course. And then bring the heat up after it's cast, after it's covered, then bring the heat up into the 80s, maybe. Correct, yeah. And let it do its thing. You don't want to, you know, cook it to 110, turn the table up. You want the table to just not be sucking the heat out and let right. it do its thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that changed some of the cure regimens as well, so yeah. because the uh, we called it sweating, but, uh, you know, so the steel has a higher propensity for the condensation than, you know, than the wood products. So, yeah, I mean, all good things to, to learn and know. It's yeah. great. Yeah. But it, but it, steel, I mean, it's something that we're learning as we go with these temperature sensors of what's going on and how to overcome those things. Right. But it's yeah, interesting. Yeah. It's interesting for sure. All right. So let, let's, let's, uh, let's spill the tea real quick. Let's have a little conversation. Okay. One of the comments... I've seen a few from a few different people is in regards to my claim that I invented fabric forming and they'll point to Wikipedia, other things that talk about fabric forming being done in the 1800s, blah, 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 yeah, blah, history blah. of fabric forming. Exactly. They're 100% correct in mm -hmm. the type of fabric forming. So what I did not specify, which I should have specified is there's different types of fabric forming. There's loose fabric forming, which is where you take um, any type of fabric. It could be a burlap, it could be geotextile, it could be vinyl, it could be whatever. And it's loose and you somehow create a shape with it, whether you sew it together or use clamps or whatever, and then you pour concrete into it and it inflates. And some people call it inflated fabric forming, but that type of fabric forming has been around for a long time and experimentation has been around with that for a long time. Uh, there's a guy named Mark West up in uh, Canada that has a program called CAST. It's a yeah. graduate level program on fabric forming. You did a whole uh, bar with I, that idea. I did. And I'll talk about that in yeah. a second. All right. Whew, I'm pretty sure, dude, this ammonia, man, I can't catch my breath. It's crazy. But so Mark West uh, had that program, CAST. I don't know if it's still going on. I, I should look online, but I felt like he moved on to other things. But then there was an architect, there still is an architect named Kenzo Uno, in Japan, doing inflated fabric forming, which is beautiful and, and very cool. 
what I invented and what did not exist before I, before I brought it to the market is rigid fabric forming. And that's where we take uh, a flexible fabric and we harden it with a resin and we refine it and then we cast on it. And that was not being done. How that came about was I had a client come to me that wanted a square sink at the top and it became a round sink at the bottom. And I went through all these different iterations of a process to, to make that happen. It was one of those clients where he walks in, hey, can you do this? Absolutely, I can do it. He walks out, I'm like, dude, I don't know how to do that. And yeah. so I started down a process and my first thought was using rubber and I was in Tempe, Arizona and there's a place called Tempe Rubber. And I went down there and I got all this different rubber sheeting, different thicknesses, different types. And I tried stretching rubber over an armature and cast on that. And the problem with rubber is it's, it's not locked into its shape and it can move. So I was doing spray GFRC back then and hand packing a backer coat. And, you know, the backer coat on one side would be inch and a quarter. The backer coat on the other side would be one inch. And that difference in weight would create an asymmetrical sink when I demolded it. So that wasn't going to work. And then I came about, of like, well, I, you know, I took a t-shirt. I was like, I'm just going to essentially fiberglass. I put a t-shirt over it and I applied resin to it and I hardened it. And that was how I made that very first uh, fabric form sink. And then over time, we've refined that process further and further and further and further. But that was fabric forming number one. And then we, I released a DVD and we did a class and that was a genesis to all of it. But when I say I invented fabric forming, I'm speaking specifically to rigid fabric forming which did not exist in this industry in any form before I brought it to the table. And everybody's like, well, but what about in the 1800s? They weren't doing rigid fabric forming in the 1800s. They're doing inflated fabric forming. Totally different type of fabric forming. And I don't claim any history of inflated fabric forming. I had nothing to do with that, right? Zero to do yeah. with it. Now, that being I, said... And, and just to throw in there, and this is no defense to you, I, I can see I don't agree with it, but what appears to be some people that want to diminish, you know, just... And, um, I don't know. It, it is what it is, man. So, yeah. you know, diminish someone. <clears throat> and oftentimes some of those techniques are, let's say backbones, if you will, and, or incorporated into other trainings, which is fine. I mean, you certainly put the information out there. So yeah, I, I could see where that could end up uncomfortable in some situations for a person to come out, you know, much like me saying, Hey man, with the ECC mixes or whatever the case may be. Um, yeah. So you're always going to have, I'm just going to, so this is a defense to everybody who wants to diminish. I get it. You're going to want to diminish. So I don't agree with it, but there you go. So rigid, fabric, rigid fabric, forming. rigid fabric, let, let, let's distinguish rigid fabric forming. Mark West, because somebody brought up Mark West and said, well, Mark West might have a lot to say about this. Funny enough, Mark West, uh, I went out there in 2013. Mark West contacted me in 2013 and asked me to come up and teach GFRC to his graduate students, because at the time they were using Lafarge to do all their GFRC. They would make these large scale columns and beams and different things out of fabric, take them to Lafarge. Lafarge had the equipment to do GFRC. But they're all massive scale pieces. And Mark West believes that anything done in small scale will behave exactly the same at large scale. And they didn't want to always have to send these massive pieces off. They wanted to do things that are three feet long in their, in their um, classroom. He you know, looked online, found me. I was one of the few people teaching GFRC and said, hey, would you be willing to come up here and spend a week teaching your process? And in turn, we'll spend a week showing you our process with, with uh, the loose fabric forming. Absolutely. So I went up there and I spent a week with them teaching and a week with them uh, learning. But by that point, I had been doing hardened fabric forming for seven years. And uh, we talked about it. And I, I told him about my process and he was explaining like a hardened form would not work for them. That's 
totally against what they're trying to do. What they're trying to do is develop more or less uh, pieces, whether it's a, a truss or a column or whatever it is, so they can send a form that's rolled up in a box to Africa somewhere where uh, a storm washed out a bridge, and they can unroll it, suspend it across the, the river, pour concrete, and create a bridge. Mm. And that was his kind of altruistic vision of, of where the technology could go that they were working on. And I get it. And so he was like, yeah, he's like, you know, what you guys do, that's really, really cool. That's not what we do. It's a totally different type of fabric forming. And I agree, it was a thousand percent different. But they showed me their type of fabric forming. I used it one time. It's not really conducive to our industry. We're doing sinks, countertops, furniture, planters, that type of fabric forming isn't really conducive. But I did a bar for a restaurant in Phoenix, Arizona called Green. And I did a cast in place bar and I did the, the actual the bar itself, the walls out of inflated fabric forming. And there's photos on my website and I might post them on this podcast uh, in the photos below so people can mm -hmm. see that that project because it's interesting. But that's the only time I ever use that because it's just not conducive. I know Nick Relampgos of It's Concrete in California. He did a, a island for a customer where he did inflated fabric forming and it was really cool. But that's really my, my bar and the one that Nick did. There's only two that I'm aware of where people use that method of fabric forming for mm -hmm. our industry, just because that style, that method is not conducive to what no, we do. Cool. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. I remember the project because you and me, I mean, you know, call, you called me to try to make modification to a, to a truck mix because you were having it all pumped in. Exactly. Yeah, we're having That's it pumped in. That was, that was the first time I learned about Buckeye fibers from you. You're like, get Buckeyes. Yeah. And we were adding um, Poslins to the mix to make ICT react better. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, modifying them. So anyways, I just oh. wanted to address that and clarify the different types of fabric forming. And again, if anybody wants to point to Wikipedia and say, you didn't invent this, you're absolutely right. I did not invent that. I invented this. And yeah. there's a difference. So there's that. Okay, enough spilling the tea on that. You want to move on to the next topic? <laughs> sure. Sure. Where are we going? There's been a lot of posts from, from different people, whether they're retailers, vendors, whatever, talking about liquid defoamers. And liquid defoamers come up in our workshops. People ask, well, do you guys use liquid defoamer? Why would you want to use liquid defoamer? What are liquid defoamers needed for? And I think that's an important topic to discuss. So do you want to share your perspective on liquid defoamers and why you would use or not use a liquid defoamer? Sure. I'll be honest. I'm not a, well, I shouldn't say I'm not a fan of the liquid defoamers. I guess it really, it really matters what it's, where it's coming from and why. Now this becomes a chemistry issue. There's lots of ways defoamers work. Um, how do you, modified polyethers, uh, polysiloxanes. There's pros and cons where they change the surface tension um, or alter the way the, the air bubbles itself agglomerate and pull together. So it, it sounds like a simple thing. Hey, I got a defomer. But believe it or not, you got to break down what that defomer is and what its mechanism of action uh, I, I mean, this is years ago, but a, a, at one point, which technically is a liquid, a bunch of us were using a tributyl phosphate. And I'm sure Allah and, and Joe and a few other guys remember that. We put just a – now the downside to that, which I'm going to refer to that as an alcohol kind of thing, which worked amazingly but doesn't last. So number one, I guess, you know, defoamers can be used. A big thing is why are you using them? Which brings me back to the beginning. Yeah, why are you using them? To begin with, if you first have to create the very problem and then add something to take back the problem, we're only talking about one problem. 
and that is air. So, and I'll get to that in a minute. So if you add air and your reasons for adding air and then having to use something else to take the air out, I'll be honest, that just seems a little, I don't know, counter to me. You know what I mean? Like that seems a little ridiculous. Yeah. You're creating a problem than trying to fix the problem you created, but in doing so you created an even bigger problem. Yeah. yeah. And there's the hard part. You actually end up creating a bigger problem uh, and that's what's not addressed. And the bigger problem, I'm going to say, is a cascade of issues that happen for the very reason you're creating the problem and why we, and I know we're going against the grain, and this is what upsets a lot of people, is that well, I've moved on from polymers and created high-performance designs without these polymers, without the problem, because the problem isn't just the air. We all agree. We, I, I'm going to say, I think we all agree that the polymers, liquid or powder, can create air. Well, now let's add a defoamer. Well, if you're lowering surface tension, I'm going to tell you, basically a couple things happen. The polymer, which coats all the particles, as I've said before, actually lowers. When I say lower strength, I'm not talking about the acrylic polymer itself because that in itself can create some amount of plastic-like strength in your concrete. But what you really are doing is lowering the overall hydration of the concrete of what we're actually trying to use concrete for. Now, if you add a surfactant on top of that to coat everything, oh man, you're kind of giving a little bit of a one-two punch and you're actually sacrificing more hydration, which then means hopefully you have to lean on more acrylic strength. And what does all that mean? It means ultimately it's it's a sealer problem. You, well, you're, there's all kinds of the problems. Whole... There's a strength issue. There's a sealer issue. There's a hydration issue. There's a long-term durability right. issue. It's... As Dusty Baker, you told me earlier today about a, a project right. Dusty has was black concrete that's turning white because it never dries. It's wet. But what right. is it's turning a, white? Yeah. The that's polymer. It's a yeah. spider web of problems that, you know, and again... I don't want to sound on a soapbox too long because it, it finally took me going back and going, why am I doing this when I'm seeing visually? Now, for me, it's pretty easy to see them because I wasn't focused on a mechanically uh, bonding plastic film on my concrete. I, I was trying to figure out why do these, why am I modifying the technology of reactive, you know, bringing an electron and doing all these kind of things. Like what is going on here? If I go out to seal a floor, Oh my God, this floor is bomber. And you know, like, Oh, what's the difference here? And I had to backtrack from there. So we were shooting ourselves in the foot the whole time that, yeah. So let's talk about dusty. Here's another example that's often not talked about. You bring these polymers in and you have something that gets wet a lot. And this is not a sealer issue. This is a concrete issue. And those polymers it's referred to as blushing. So in the long term, the concrete itself can blush. You can look at the sealer perfectly intact and pristine and looks beautiful and it's doing its job, but the concrete itself, in this case, has gone from a black to in certain areas, a white. And that's not the sealer blushing. That's literally the concrete going through and that's a polymer issue and it happens. Um, so... But what I was going to say is I also get it. I, I get how we can take a pretty good ribbing, you know, punches, sand in your face. Because once again, as usual, I'm, we're going against the grain 
and the grain is, you know, some com- some companies turn around and adopting, hey, but look at me, I got a new polymer. Ah, you know, buy it for me. And then you got a group of guys against the grain going, no, no, I, I, and stay away from it. And this, and so I get it, man. It's a, well, it's a tough market. And, and you know what, at the end of the day, sorry, I'm going to, go it's tough for those people who would like to know, who are trying to achieve success to then, as we said, be muddy, you know, walk through the muddy minefield on Who's giving me information of value that's helping my business? And why why we go the way we go. The right. why, the why. Yeah. What I was going to say is Kodiak Pro, we have no reason to not use the absolute very best products that are available for our customers. And if a defomer was the best thing to use. You better believe Kodiak Pro would be on board yeah, on a deformer. If a liquid sure. polymer was the very best thing, you better believe we'd be on board. Yeah, why not? But we do this for a living. We make client projects every day for our clients. We have been for 20 years. And we know these things create all kinds of issues. And that's why we moved away from them. So for anybody to say these things are needed or these things are good, I'd really ask, show me the client projects you've made with those things. And show me those client projects three years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, and how they've held up in that time frame. And that will be the why of why you should use those products. And I guarantee you, the people hawking those products, whatever the distributor is, they don't do this for a living. And they don't have that historic data of their own use for client pieces to fall back on and say, this is why it's good or this is why it's bad. And that's where you and I are different than all the other distributors, trainers, whatever, is this is what we do. And yeah, we will and not like, sell, we will not uh, develop products that aren't the very best for this use. Right. And I, and like I said, I mean, playing devil's advocate here, I can also see where anybody on the other side of the fence or straddling the fence and trying to figure out, as we heard, you know, recently from someone, you know, trying to decide on what training to go to, is, um, you know, I guess, you know, we can come across as what insulting, arrogant, I don't know. I could come up with other adjectives too, but, um, I just don't know what to say about that, to be honest with you. So here we are, we'll continue to what we're doing and, and, uh, we'll buck the trend. Here's the wild thing. At some point, there, mock my words, whatever date this is, 2022, December 7th. At some point, those people who are our biggest detractors or whatever, maybe we offend you, we upset you, you're, you'll see information coming out from other avenues that is very similar to ours. And you'll walk back and go, oh, maybe it's in five years, one year, two years. And the reason why I say that is if you look back, and let's just talk about your conventional liquid polymer GFRC. Do you remember how much grief Hiram Ball took back then? Yeah. Yeah, right? When he, you know, when he was, let's say, pioneering this whole thing and bringing it out and people like, what? Oh, my God. And then later, he's working with the company that's making the, the polymer itself, EPS. Uh, he becomes their ma- the major distributor. He actually owns rights to its distribution, which again made him the bad guy, right? Why can't everybody get it? You know, and uh, but now here we are, Hiram. You know, rest in peace, my friend. He he 
did amazing things for a lot of people. He, he innovated. Um, we, and I still truly believe that innovation is great in certain situations, but we also found moving in what we are trying to do, solid surfaces, furniture, and these kind of things that, um, those were not a life-saving answer and actually in many ways created so many of the problems that we thought we were trying to solve by not actually recognizing the problem. Well, the thing about innovation is it's always moving forward. So what Hiram did at the right. time was innovation at the time. No question. He was taking a, a, a material concrete and, and making it perform in ways it hadn't performed before. And that was amazing. But as time goes on and as more data comes to, to the forefront, we start to understand all the reactions that are happening with these different admixes and chemicals. Then we start making modifications and innovating new materials that don't have right. the downsides created by the older materials. And that's where we are today. And that's where Kodiak Pro is, is we're on the, the tip of the spear on material science of mm -hmm. all the innovation that happened from Hiram and, and you know all the people doing GFRC from the 70s up until today. And you know we, we taught the first class in 2005. All that stuff is great, but we've innovated beyond that at this point. We're not stuck at, in 2005. Well, there's one I would like to touch on for just a second. Innovation. And I can also see that that's something if, if people like, well, you know, that I, I truly feel like I do innovate. You know, for me, it's a material science chemistry point of view. And a comment was made in rest of the challenging that by, you know, clearly you don't innovate because you don't do patents. Oh, and um, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah. We're, we're going to spill the tea again. So uh, let's make some tea, John. You want to make some tea? We got to yeah. spill some. So let's make some. Patents. And this goes Patents. back to originality. And, you know, you can discuss your side and I'll discuss my side on far as, as uh, patents and innovation and whatnot. But patents are, you don't patent design. And anybody that says we well, maybe you trademark, you, you can copyright, but patents aren't what we do. And, uh, dude, I mean, this is such a huge subject. Well, I'm, I'm going to say, you know, all the props in the world, I have all the respect in the world for people that do, that feel comfortable setting up in patents. You know what I mean? I, I think that's amazing. And like many things in life, I, I think that's fantastic when a person does that and, you know, can step back and look at these amazing things that I did and my name is on these patents. I mean, come on, I, I'm not going to take that away from anybody. Um, and a lot of times those patents, but let me go a different direction. It becomes far more difficult than patents in chemistry because patents in chemistry, it doesn't take much. I mean, I look at it different. I look at it and I have been asked to do this so many times and back doing consulting with other companies, we, they, we, they put the patents together. And what we found very quickly is patents become the very recipe that gives someone else who may have been traveling a whole different road. Now they get a glimpse of what you're actually doing and it brings them back on track to make modifications and then challenge everything you've put hard work into. Yeah. So I'm not going to say I don't believe in patents, but what I would say uh, undeniably is the chemistries and the solutions that, that my ambition and my hard work have come up with 
until one day they will remain because that's a whole nother story too. When somebody, I think I talked about opening the recipe book and let everybody else see what was going on. That was a huge lesson learned for me. So this time these will stay close to my chest and should those days, which I know won't happen because I'm, well, here's what I would say. Today's chemistries will be irrelevant 10 years from now from a John Schuler point of view, because I will keep moving further and further and further along. Um, but anyway, so that, I just want to put that out about patents because I think the way it was interjected was as a way of a validation either for how smart you might be or, you know, again, to diminish anything you may have done. And I can understand that. I mean, well, we I don't all have different it. point of views. Well, and so I <clears throat> go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, so while you were explaining your side, I was gathering my thoughts on how I wanted to discuss my perspective on this. And the person that made that comment was in my, in my view, making it in such a way as talking about design originality, essentially saying you didn't patent these designs. So they're free to steal. Right. And the best way I can liken that is if somebody's walking down the street and they have a hundred dollar bill in their pocket and they, they put their hand in their pocket, pulled out and a hundred dollar bill falls out and they turn around and they see it. But just before they pick it up, you pick it up and you say, this is mine now. And you're like, bro, you saw that fall in my pocket. Uh, that's my hundred dollar bill. And you're like, no, no, no. But it was on the ground possession, sign, tense of law. Legally, this is now my hundred dollar bill. Screw you. This is my hundred dollar bill. And you're like, dude, you know, that's not yours to take. You know, it's not yours right. to take. Or it'd be like somebody walking down the street, seeing a car, they open the car door because the car door is unlocked. You didn't lock your door. Let me take your purse out or your backpack or your laptop or whatever's in your car. And, and they say, well, technically you didn't lock your doors. So technically it's free to steal. Technically, technically, technically. There's a thing called integrity. And this is a small industry, a very small industry. And you want to believe that the people in this industry have integrity, that they don't want to steal from each other, that they want to do the right thing by each other. But times like this, you see who people really are. And so we have a business partner in Kodiak Pro, Andrew Lin. We should bring Andrew on and, and he can discuss this. And he specializes in intellectual property law. Oh, that's not a bad idea. We should Hear bring him on. More from a lawyer perspective. From somebody sure. actually knows what they're talking about. Because the people yep. that make all these wild claims, oh, he didn't patent it. They don't know what they're talking about. But Andrew can go on and explain that actually something such as my erosion sink, I can defend that in a court of law. I could sue you if I wanted to. We could pursue that legal action and I could do all those things. Do I want to do those things? No, I got bigger fish to fry. I got more things to worry about than chasing down some local yokel wherever they are and say, you know, you can't do that. Pay me money. I got, I got more important things, right? Well, here's what I would say. Just, you know, after going shopping, just put your shopping cart into the cart bin. Don't, don't, what are you don't about? leave it in the parking lot for somebody to run into. What? And what are you talking about? I'm just calling it the integrity issue. Oh, but yeah. at the same time, I'm going to put out a little defense for those people. And this is a defense, not because I think doing those kind of things are right, Uh, but a defense to say that I understand. Uh, uh, Coming up with these things, let's say on your own, whether that be, you know, a design, which, you know, unfortunately I think there's a sub could be a subjectiveness to there for other people to say, you know, hey, I just don't like that. Or, but in this case, we're talking about people using other people's designs. It's difficult, and it could be a lot of hard work, a lot of trial and error. You know, this. Um, so I get it, and and that that drive to create your own thing, if we if that's what we're saying, it is is 
it's outside of a lot of people's wheelhouse, right? And so for them, instead, to look at something else and copy it. And I think I've said this in previous podcasts, and I do believe it. You can, make, you can be an amazing copycat. Don't get me wrong, right? I mean, there are people painting paintings that that's that knockoff painting that's held in the museum because no one gets wants the original stolen. And they do it with such talent that it's amazing. But on the flip side, there are times I do believe if those same people put the time and effort into their own design, but here comes the caveat. If that's what they want to do, I do believe they could come up with some amazing things on their own, but yeah. it's difficult. So it's, it's difficult. I mean, for two people who from different points of view have traveled that road, I think an outsider looking in could just be, Oh, he's just so smart. He can do it. Um, or wow, that arrogant narcissistic ass, it must be so easy for him. Um, no, it's, it's hard work. It's hard work. And it's a lot of dedication. Um, so, you know, a lot of people that that's a road, unfortunately, that just so much easier to go, ah, now that I've seen it, I want to do it. It's mine. I'm glad we went down this road. I, I wasn't, this wasn't on my list of things to, to discuss, but it is and it's super important topic of discussion for me personally. A few things, originality, originality and design. I gave a TEDx talk on this. Originality and design does exist. It 1000% exists. Here's the truth of the matter. The people that say originality doesn't exist, original design doesn't exist, are people that are not trying to do original things. They're not even attempting to. They create a narrative. So what happens is people get into the business of doing concrete sinks and countertops, whatever brought them here, whether they did flat work, whether they saw something on HGTV, they saw a magazine article, Pinterest, whatever. And they're like, oh, that's interesting. They get into it. And pretty soon they realize that the truth of the matter is the only way to run a successful business is if you sell things that people want to buy, that people respond to. The concrete itself, you know, we have the best concrete and the best sealer, and you can make amazing things from it. But if you're not making things people want to buy, you're not going to be in business. Right. So that's one of the big... And that's hard, right? It's and super hard. hard. And that's one of the big differentiators yeah. in our training versus other training is we really focus heavily on that because, again, as somebody that has done this for a living for 20 years and watched hundreds and hundreds of companies come up and then go out of business, what was the common denominator? Design or lack thereof. And so when we discuss this and we tell people, you need to make things people want to buy to stay in business. What happens is some of these people, they're, they're in business, but they're not making money. They're losing money. They're losing money. And they start to have the realization, hmm, why am I not being successful? Because I'm not making things people want to buy. What do people want to buy? Well, let me look around. Oh, they like that. Oh, people really respond well to that. I'm going to take that. That's mine now. I'm going to take it. I'm going to claim it. And I'm going to say the narrative I'm going to create to feel good about what I'm doing so I can sleep at night is I'm going to say original design doesn't exist. Great artists steal. This is the lie I'm going to tell myself so I feel good about what, the, what, about what I'm doing. And that's the truth of the matter. People that defend that position are people that are doing it from a place that they're protecting their ego by saying, that doesn't exist. I don't care what you say. I don't care that you put in the hard work to develop that. I'm going to take it for myself. I'm going to sell it. Screw you. Screw your family. I, I need to and make money too. Guy yeah. And up. now, and now, because you make me feel bad about myself because of what I'm doing, I'm going to villainize you. I'm going to say all these ne negative things about you because you make me feel bad about the thing that I'm doing that I know is wrong, but I got to tell myself these lies 
to, to validate what I'm doing. That's the truth of the matter. Whether anybody wants to admit it or not, that's the absolute truth of the matter. Those are some hard well, truths. Hold on, hold on. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not done with my diatribe here. Uh-oh. So this, this is such a big topic in a design world. Unfortunately, the concrete industry that we're in isn't really aware of, of this conversation being held globally, right? This is a big conversation right. all around the world. But there's an organization called Be Original Americas. Their website is bbeoriginalamericas.com. I invite everybody to go visit this website, but I'll read their mission to you real quick because it's just one sentence. Be Original Americas is a nonprofit creative advocacy committed to informing, educating, and influencing manufacturers, artisans, design professionals, and consumers about the economic, ethical, and environmental value of authentic design. That is so true. I mean, there's a whole organization built around this premise. And so to have people online, you know, sniping comments, this doesn't exist, original doesn't exist. And then you go look at the portfolio, it's like, oh, wow, I see why you're saying that because you're creating knockoffs of other people's work, whether it's a chair by Nick Lampkos or an erosion sink or a Van Gogh painting, whatever it is, you're creating knockoffs of other things that exist in the world. You're not creating original designs. It all becomes so clear. It all becomes so clear of why you've taken this position. Yeah. And that it's hard. Was I wound up? Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> I got to deescalate this. Well, so well, hold on. <laughs> I'm going to go. One more thing. I have a really, really good friend, Tom Jones, T H O M, Tom Jones, semi good furniture, one of the greatest woodworkers in the world, bar none, semigoods.com. Check him out. He's up in Seattle. He teaches furniture design at Parsons. He's won many, many design awards. An amazing, amazing, amazing furniture designer. He finally got off social media because so many people were ripping off his designs, making YouTube videos on, on tutorials on how to make this design and whatever it is, that he just got so sick of it. He's like, dude, I'm so done with this. I just, yeah. I got to walk away. I'm so done with this mentality from these, you know, young up and coming makers, whatever you want to say, that they just have the rights to steal from everybody. And it is an, a sense of entitlement that they don't understand the economic impacts of their lack of integrity and what it does. You know, Tom has has a small business. He has a family to support. He's developed original designs over the course of many years through hard work. And then some dumb 21-year-old comes along and sees it and rips it off, makes a YouTube video on how to make it and gets millions of views and gets all this advertising revenue. At what cost? Because they stole from Tom to do it. Yeah. So. Well, I was going to say, but some people do. I mean, again, I'm pointing out Martin Haddock, who contacted Jake Brady on one of his designs. And, uh, you know, and other people, there, there truly are respectful people. And ask there. permission to create it. That's and what, ask permission. Yeah. So I do believe there's, a, but there's always the other side, man. What, what I was going to talk about for a second as, cause you did bring this up about business. Again, one thing for us, everything, you got to make what people want, um, and what people are going to buy. And ever so true in the 20 years of me doing this, that's why I still enjoy talking to people about business and how to be successful in business versus, you know, maybe other people that, again, they, they run business in a different direction or, or whatever the case may be, is that I know I've been there. Brandon, I'm not going to lie to anybody. You know, there was a time, you know, as I think I've said many times, I thought, oh, my goodness, opening Creative Crete and running down and getting a business license and putting my phone number out there. Booyah, I'm going to be, you know, just swimming in it. And crickets, crickets, crickets. Oh, you know what? Oh, I just got to call some contractors and let them know what I'm doing. Crickets, crickets. Because at the time I wasn't doing things. I even got off course for a while. 
if, if most people don't know this, back then I started doing upright casting, uh, did a lot of things that direction. Then I went into marbling techniques, which was incredibly successful for me. And then, as it turns out now, I went in an unfortunate direction and started incorporating a lot of GFRC and really wanted to focus on it because I thought it was pretty. And found out very quickly, it almost put me out of business because nobody in my area wanted it. Yeah. Nobody. I mean, I, I put it into various uh, design showrooms. And even when I brought them in, uh, at first I thought the looks like, huh? But as it turns out, because even the designers working for those showrooms weren't interested in it. And so, you know, when clients came into their showroom, they might have showed it a couple, but even for them, within a few people going, yeah, no. Um, instead they moved over to more, you know, stone likes or, or whatever the case may be. So there, to me, when it comes to talking about business and business, if you ever come out or want to spend time at design school is when, when we talk about being successful in business, not just, that's not me standing on a soapbox and saying, Oh, everything I've done is right. I'd love to, you know, show people having traveled that road my own mistakes. And that was one of them is I thought it was going to be amazing to follow that path because everybody wanted it. It didn't put me out of business, but yeah. And then, wow. Now, once I moved all that away and then started focusing, and I've told that story many times too, on changing my upright techniques and bringing new finishes, textures and so forth out and then whew, all of a sudden, my business completely elevated again to the point now that, you know, I can pretty, pretty selective in the projects that I take on. Yeah. And, you know, so if, and if that's, if that's a goal someone else has in mind, this ability to be a selective in what you do, because you can actually make money based on that instead of having to focus on volume. Yeah. Um, well, originality makes a big difference. Originality makes you relevant with designers and architects. R originality right. brings projects to you that wouldn't have come otherwise. If you're just Correct. a jack of yeah. all trades that are just doing knockoffs of, of other people's designs, you're pretty much only going to sell to a very small uh, radius around where you are. But if you're doing things that are original, people are going to seek you out from all over the world because you're the original person that makes these things. Dusty Baker is a great example of that. People... Oh, yeah. Again, will try to diminish Dusty. They'll make comments. They'll say, Ben Ashby. Bro, Ben Ashby and Dusty Baker aren't doing anything near the same thing. I've seen Ben Ashby's stuff. I've seen him at World of Concrete. And oh, I've seen we know Dusty. Ben Ashby. Exactly. And I've seen Dusty Baker stuff. We're talking about two totally different things, but people want to try to correlate the two to diminish Dusty Baker and Dusty Crete. And I'm telling you, yeah. there, there's, there's, they're as similar as, uh, as OPC concrete flooring and UHPC. They're two totally different things. They're both right. concrete, but they're you know, fabric forming. You know, there's fluid fabric forming, loose fabric forming, and rigid fabric forming. Oh, they're fabric forming. No, they're two totally different things. You, you can try to correlate them to diminish somebody or you can recognize that, right. no, this is something totally different. I want to go back to two well, things. Well, hang on. I'm ready to move on. Oh, hold you on. I'm going back. UHPC I'm, and... I'm, I'm looking back. And we'll talk about <laughs> okay. UHPC. To go back to design and originality and whatnot. I'll, I'll post a link to the TEDx talk too in the blog post here, but I gave a TEDx well, talk. Link, um, link the, uh, the other page too. Cause I've already forgot what you said. I'd like the original America's. Yeah. That. I'll, I'll, I'll yeah. put that too. The text talk I gave, and I, I really encourage anybody to watch it. It's pretty short. It has to do with originality and design and why that's important and designing in a vacuum. Okay. 
So the problem I made early on, I'll give you the cliff notes of my, of my TED talk in case nobody wants to talk it, wants to, to watch it. But uh, the mistake I made early on was looking at other people's stuff. I used to look at, you know, magazine articles and websites and sure. whatnot. And those design DNA details were imprinting on my subconscious. And when I went to go do something for a client, original, quote unquote original, I was pulling from the things that I had absorbed by looking at all these other concrete people. And there's only a few back then, Buddy Rhodes, Fu Tong Chang. But I was, I was pulling from that design DNA. And I did this piece, I was super proud of it, totally original. And I installed it. And my girlfriend at the time, who's not my wife, but back then we were dating, she looked at it and we were on the very end of our relationship, very, very end of it. And this was like, I don't know when this was, 2004, 2005, somewhere around there. It was a long time ago. But um, at that point, we're getting ready to break up. And she looks at it. And back then, there used to be this Kia SUV that looked just like the Mercedes SUVs. Just the badging was different, but it was the exact replica, right? And she's like, well, and she came over to my apartment. She, and I show, her, I show her some photos. She's like, well, it looks good. She's like, uh, but it looks like Futong Chang. I'm like, huh? She goes, she's like, you know, when you're a stoplight, dude, she can be so mean when she wants to, too. Like cut you right to the depth of your depth of your soul. She's like, you know, when you're a stoplight and you look in your rearview mirror and you see a Mercedes SUV pulling up and you look over and it's just a Kia. This is just a Kia. And I was like, ah, I was like, you get out. We're done. We're over. And we broke up like that, that moment we broke up and I didn't see her again for years. Like we were just over. But when I actually sat down and thought about what she said, she was 100% right. I had taken this DNA subconsciously and applied it to my design. And she was so right. And in that moment, I decided, that's it. I'm done. I'm getting off websites. I'm not going to look at anything. And luckily, Pinterest didn't exist back then. Instagram didn't exist back then. Facebook was just coming about, but people weren't really posting. It was all still just like college stuff. So all these design blogs didn't exist. Um, so it was much easier to disconnect. That's my my... TED Talk's name is Design by Disconnecting. But when people say you can't design in a vacuum, that's the only way to design is in a vacuum. I'm telling you, stop stop with this whole mindset. I need to get inspiration from other designers, blah, blah. No, you don't. You're not going to get anything but the design DNA those people are doing. Stop looking at other people for inspiration. Start looking within. And that's where you're going to start having original thought and original design. But it takes time. It takes effort. It's not like, well, I'm just going to stop looking today and tomorrow I'm going to have original thought. No, it's going to take weeks, months, years of constant work to this day. On Instagram, my wife will be sitting next to me and I'll be scrolling Instagram. It's hot chicks and dogs. That's that's 99% of my feed, hot chicks and dogs. That's what I'm looking at on Instagram. <laughs> I'm not looking at other concrete companies on there at all. I'm, oh, look at this hot chick. Oh, look at this dog. Look at this hot chick. Look at this dog. That's what I'm looking at on Instagram because I don't want to see, to this day, I don't want to see other people's stuff. I just don't want it to rub off on me in any way. I like to have, when I have an idea, I like to know that the idea is authentic. And if for some reason you have an idea that you think is authentic, but then you become aware that somebody's already done it, then that comes down to integrity. Once you become aware that somebody already did that thing, even if it was original to you, which has happened to me, I've come up with things that I 100% know for a fact I did not see because I'm not aware of this company and what they do, and I've never seen anything they've done. And I become aware. You have to make a choice in that moment. Do I continue to pursue this, even though it's original to me, or do I say... Somebody already did it. I can't in good conscience now claim this. Even if it was original, it's been done. And then you have to, you have to move on. And right. so that's the other thing is people are like, well, but I didn't, you know, I saw a rock quarry and I made this sink because there's a quarry next to my house. I had no idea the erosion sink existed. That could very well be true. I'm not discounting sure. that could be true. But once you become aware the, the erosion sink exists, are you going to continue down that road? Or are you going to be like, well, 
You know, somebody already did that, and it goes back 20 years, and that's documented. I can't in good faith now try to claim this as my own, even though I never saw that. Right. And this, that could very well be possible. You have to make that choice. That's number one. But designing a vacuum, which is where this is all going, is I posted last week's podcast uh, on my personal Facebook page. And Caleb Lawson, who's a trainer for CCI, got on there. And this is a public post. Anybody can go see it. I, I didn't make it private. But he starts uh, essentially kind of bringing up these topics of you can't design in a vacuum. Talking about originality doesn't exist, blah, 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 blah. And I will tell anybody listening to this, 100%, if you want to focus on design, which I believe to the depth of my soul that if you want to be successful in this business, you should be focused on design more than you focus on concrete. Design in a vacuum. It's the only way. Do not look at books. Do not look at magazines. Do not look at websites. Change your feed to hot chicks or dudes, if that's your thing, I don't care, and dogs, and you will start to have original thought. I guarantee it. Number one. Yeah, I'm with you. You want to hit my second thing? Okay. <sighs> Calm down, man. Calm down. It's a mixture of adrenaline, but it's not really adrenaline. It's just, I'm telling you, I got pneumonia. I can't breathe. Um, so the second thing, which is funny because this kind of all ties into the whole thing. I have somebody that has a unhealthy fixation on me at the moment, which, you know, whatever. But this person... Don't be outing me, man. Don't be outing me. <laughs> this person, the way it all came about, which is so funny, it's so funny, was on Facebook, there's a feature where it says people you may know. And it the, you know pops up on the side of your screen. And you can see like you have 40 mutual friends or 100 mutual friends, whatever it is. And so a lot of times I'll just click send invite because I don't, I don't know who this person is, but you know, Facebook keeps showing me this person popping up. Somebody might know. Okay, whatever. Sure. Because obviously they, they're either in my friend group of where I live or my high school or the industry, whatever. And so um, Facebook keeps popping up this one person. I finally add him as a friend. And, uh, and then this guy, Edgar Martinez, this kind of goes back to what you were talking about with Jake Brady and Martin Haddock, where Mart Martin Haddock reached out to Jake Brady, correct? That was the way it went? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Martin Haddock reached out to Jake Brady and said, hey, I really like this design. Can I have your permission to make it? And he said, yes, absolutely. That's respect. That's integrity. That's not stealing from somebody. You're asking permission. So Edgar Martinez, who I love, Edgar's an amazing concrete artisan. He came to a class. He, he became one of Dusty's kind of main apprentices. Dusty's taken him under his wing, taught him a ton. And now Edgar's off on his own, edgy studios, doing amazing stuff. Yeah. Edgar reached out to me last year and said, hey, uh, I need to make an erosion project for a client. Is it cool if I use your design? Absolutely. And he makes it and he posts photos of it on Facebook or Instagram. I can't remember where he posted it, but he posted photos and he thanked me for the inspiration uh, for the design. Thank you, Brandon Gore, for, for, uh, for the erosion sink design, blah, 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 blah. Well, this person who I don't know, but I added as a friend, gets on there and starts running me down saying, there's no such thing as original design. That's not Brandon Corb's original design. There's no such thing, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, huh, who's this? What, what's going on here? Uh, this kind of came out of nowhere. So I responded back and I'm just like, well, you know, original design does exist. Whether you believe in it or not, it's kind of irrelevant. I'm not going to waste my time trying to convince you of otherwise, but, you know, I know for a fact it does. So this went back, back and forth a few times. And then finally, I'm just like, ah, this, this person, I don't know who they are, but this person isn't bringing anything good into my life. It's just aggravation. So I'll just delete them, whatever, delete, right? Yeah. And apparently that was the genesis to this person being extremely upset. And since then, I'm, I've been like the most arrogant, egotistical uh, narcissist they've ever known because of that. But here's the thing about social media. I posted this quote and I believe it to be true. You can't change the people around you, but you can change the people around you. 
right? If there's somebody in your feed that's nothing but like a little nappy, you know, they're napping at your heels like a little chihuahua. You're like, what's going on? Who is, huh? What? Where is this coming from? Just, just delete them. You don't need that. You just delete them. Yeah, that goes for any of us, you know, because the same, if it, it brings you stress. Why do it? Yeah, as I, as I say, when I come home, I like rainbows and butterflies, right? When I, when I come into my house and I'm around my family, you know, it doesn't mean my family walks on eggshells or anything, but I'm talking about like, you know, I don't like a whole lot of drama in my house, uh, you know, so I get it. Uh, you know, I mean, we deal with so many things and, and that's one. Um, so yeah, I, I can see that. I, I, I don't know why someone would get upset about it, but I don't know, again, trying to see the other side, I guess that's, that's the other problem with social media is we've now learned to take things so personally, right? So incredibly personally, uh, that makes it so difficult, difficult because anyway, I mean, I've talked about that kind of stuff before, but yeah. There's respect. There's integrity. Martin had Mm -hmm. respect for Jake Brady. Edgar Martinez had respect for me. They reach out and they say, is it cool? And you say, yeah, for sure. That's great. And thank you for asking, by the way. Thank you for asking. Thank you for having the integrity to not just take something and claim it as your own and then right. develop a narrative around it to feel good about what you did. Well, that's the hard part. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, we, we did, pff, that was a way deeper spill of the tea than I was anticipating when we went down that, that road, but let's get back to concrete, John. Yeah. Concrete. Well, this is something I, and again, I hope this clears up for a lot of people. So this is, and this is more of an information around, um, I'm going to say conventional concrete, which would be, you know, the, the third that are maybe with pea gravels and sands, or I think what a lot of people got hyper-focused on is the acronyms of say ECC, GFRC, UHPC. And so one of the things being said, I'm going to say by some people that, I don't know, who don't know enough about ultra high performance concrete is that it's being told the story of that it's brittle, right? Because when you get higher strengths, it's inherently has to be brittle. So the better choice would be to follow the path of the GFRC. And again, this is always using acronyms. And the and again, back to the whole, you know, this is where polymer becomes good because, oh, this stuff is, is brittle. So that question has been presented to me in various ways. So I thought, what the heck, let's address it on this day. And clearly it shows that I need to address it more. And again, this is not a maker's mix kind of thing. This is just concrete in general. But so one thing to, to clear up is with these type of designs, even if you're just talking about high performance concrete is the, there's an exceptionally high durability and strength that comes with these. Yes. A higher compression, But that doesn't come from just, ooh, tons and tons of cement. What that actually does, these type of designs have increased total bonding strength between all the ingredients. So that's not making it more brittle. That actually increases overall durability. You know, and comparatively speaking, and I I forget how it came in, but so then, then they back on this whole like, well, GFRC is because of the glass fiber. Well, yeah, but this back to the thing, I just want to clear some, and I know I've said this a lot, glass fiber is often used in the designs considered ultra high performance concrete. 
So see, this is the concrete itself and from a mixed point of view. And believe it or not, you know, often 75 to 80 percent of the basic ingredients in a high performance design or ultra high performance are pretty similar. I mean, there's no secret, I guess, that there's cement and there's sand, you know, what I mean? and uh, and water. It's usually about a you know 20 percent difference. It all has to do with compaction uh, compaction derivatives and density and the mix pulling on itself. So you're not hyper focused on these uh, chemicals uh, to create the internal bond strengths uh, and glass fiber. In fact, we recommend, you know, I think initially they were designed around steel fiber and PVA and we're not, we're not an industry that's going to be using steel fiber, uh, bridge decks, those kind of things they are, but we're going to use glass fiber. So glass fiber in this kind of ultra high performance design will take anything you thought GFRC could do and elevate it to levels well beyond what a conventional sand, cement, poslin, water, polymer, fiber mix could ever achieve, yeah. ever. And it's not being more brittle. The bond strength is substantially higher between all of them and um, stronger and more durable not more brittle. Yeah. I wonder if we should come up with a new acronym for this, this generation of mix, because it is so different than anything else out there that maybe a new acronym is needed just to make it, to differentiate it kind of like the, the rigid fabric forming. Maybe we're not being specific enough with what we're doing. You know, the people that, that are saying that uh, GFRC is superior to the UHPC that, that we're manufacturing goes back to why, 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 do you, why are you saying that? And will you show me pieces of client work that you created with GFRC or with fabric form and whatever it is, please show me pieces you made for a client that have been out in the field for three years, five years, 10 years, and how they've held up to back your claims. And I promise you the people making those claims cannot do any of those things. We can, that's what we do, but always, always preface who you're listening to with that question of where's this person getting their, their information from and do they have any real world experience to back up what they're saying? Yeah. And, and having been on the other side of the fence, again, I, I, as you know, I try to be like, uh, I get it, man. I get it. I, I, I don't agree with it anymore. Yeah. I used to be on that side too. I used to be uh, powder polymers and, you know, defoamers and multiple admixtures. Oh, and you should see the stuff I threw away when I moved out of my old shop. I clipped the floor. <laughs> yeah, so, Dude, I threw away like 12 buckets of, of liquid polymer, you know, mm -hmm. just threw it all away. What am I going to do with it? I can't sell it to anybody in good faith. That stuff's junk. I can't sell that. Right. And so, yeah. So, you know, going against the grain, just like going against the mob, right? Um, you don't want the mob to turn on you. And, uh, but unfortunately my personality and many reasons, I think why we, you and I get along and I have a difficulty getting along with some other people. Actually, I shouldn't say that. I get, I feel like I get along with them just fine. Dude, you get along with uh, everybody. I've never met anybody in my life <laughs> that is so, you're just like the Labrador retriever of this industry where you just walk around wagging your tail. Yeah. You get along with everybody. I'm, I'm like, I'm like the, uh, Belgium Malinois of this industry where, you know, you know, I'm a velociraptor, but you're the, you're the golden retriever. Yeah. Uh, is, is I've been on that side. I understand it, but I, I certainly also can, and well, I should say understand because I see it is this, you know, that 
but this is what we're doing. So you're telling me we're wrong. Well, no, I'm not telling you you're wrong, but I'm telling you is out of development and innovation. That is old technology. And, you know, if this is what you're trying to achieve and, and maybe that's what it boils down to, uh, as we've said many times is, you know, maybe someone's not trying to achieve what we're trying to achieve. And, and that's okay. I'm completely okay with that. Um, anybody who doesn't know, I answer tech support questions and try to help people from every angles. But if this is what you're trying to achieve is what we are, and that is a totally different form of durability. Um, that's not so dependent on, you know, the things so often we've been dependent on, then this is a direction we've gone and I'll continue to go this direction. But at the same time, watching other people pop up new ingredients, but Hey, look, so of course they're going to be upset about it. You guys, I'm, I'm selling a powder and a liquid polymer and defoamers and various plasticizers and various additives. And, you know, so, uh, Quit saying that crap. Well, but again, I, please understand, I'm not saying and will never say what you're doing is wrong. So please, if your success hinges on those kind of things, by all means, travel that road. But on the same time, I'm going to ask, don't tell us what we're doing is wrong because success has shown otherwise. We're not saying what you're doing is wrong. What we're saying is what you're doing is further back on the timeline of, of technology. That's where we were. We, we went down that road. We've been there. We know exactly what you're using. We know exactly the issues you're having. We know exactly the problems with those materials through all the, from mixing, storage, casting, curing, sealing, uh, longevity. We know all those problems. So we've been down that road. And it, there's a point in our yeah. life where we felt those were the best products. No but question. there's we're, we're at a different stage now. And so now we're here and you're here. You learned information from somebody who's stuck in the past and that's fine. But, you know, for whatever reason, you chose that class. You went to that training. You bought what they, what they were selling. Or those products, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. You bought the information, you bought the products. And you believe that to be true. And we're over here saying, well, yeah, if that was 2010, that would be the, the best information and best practices. But now it's 2022, about to be 2023. And what we're saying is things have evolved since then. Things have advanced since then. And here we are down here saying there's a better product, there's a better method. The other thing, too, is we, you know, we've received... I'm going to spill the tea again. we got to mix up some more tea. We've received a lot of private messages, and we got a phone call yesterday from somebody, a group call. Yeah, thank you. That was um, essentially sharing their their perspective on this whole thing, and they've been watching it, and they attended training from another person up in Canada. And um, what was funny is when I filled them in on what had happened there, what happened was a person came to our training at Dusty's. And they, they took a six-day class at me, you, and Dusty, and they learned Dusty Crete, they learned Fabric Form, and they learned Upright Casting. They went directly back to Canada and did a class with our, our, one of our uh, competitor training, um, whatever, venues. And they taught their, their, you know, kind of bastardized copy of it. They taught a copy of what we were teaching, right? Mm-hmm. And we reached out to this person when, when this came out, and I reached out to him, and Dusty reached out to him. And, you know, Dusty's like the nicest guy in this industry. If anybody knows Dusty personally, he is such a nice guy, such a nice guy. And we have somebody in our classes, when this person came down to the class, we treated him like, like a great friend. You know, we, 
we, we think everybody's coming with the best intentions. I didn't know this guy was coming to try to steal our information and go back to teach it for this other company. So we were super friendly and nice with this person. So he goes back and Dusty calls him up and says, what are you doing, man? And the guy's like, well, you know, your contract that I signed, because they signed a, non, a, a confidentiality and a non-compete saying that what we teach, they're not going to try to reteach or make videos or things like that. Um, he's like, because I'm in Canada, your contract doesn't apply to me. Huh? I mean, this goes back to like integrity. If you're relying on patents to not steal from somebody, or if you're relying on a contract, the validity of it being across a border to not steal from somebody, you have an integrity issue, right? So your contract doesn't apply to me because I'm in Canada. And Dusty's like, dude, I mean, he's like, screw the contract. Like, I thought we were cool. You know, we treated you like a friend. I, I showed you my methods. And he's like, well, I'm not going to use your powder. So technically it's not Dusty Creed. So technically... I'm in the right here. And again, you're relying on technicalities and terminology, the lies you tell yourselves to sleep at night, the lies you tell yourself to feel good about what you're doing when you know you're a thief. So anyways, this goes on. And, and this essentially is when we started kind of really promoting the innovators, not imitators. And, you know, don't make the ultimate mistake in training by attending stolen training, essentially. But that's what started that whole thing. Where was I going with this, John? I don't know, because I was just going to interject. I, I know who you're talking about. And, and I've talked to him well, on different subjects. Uh, he, he's a pretty cool cat, man. He really is. Uh, he, did he make some, in my opinion, this is solely my opinion, some unfortunate moves? Yes. I mean, I, I'll be the first to admit, I, I don't, even him and I talked about those kind of things. And I, I'm, I'm willing to say I, I didn't agree with what he was saying. But the, I just put out there, anybody listening, that doesn't change the fact that, man, I'll tell you, I, he really is a cool cat. He, he had a nice business that um, did defunct for a, for a variety of reasons. You, you can be nice about this person. I'm not being nice about this person because <laughs> what they did was so wrong. And what the other training venue did by promoting that person's training, knowing that it was stolen, knowing well, so that it was derivative. Yeah. That's the side I would venture. Because, uh, see, I finally, those, I finally remembered where I was going, but go ahead. And then I'll, I'll continue. Yeah, myself. Well, that's what I'm saying. See, if, if that was asked to me, my difficulty, although I can agree, and I'm going to put it in a different perspective, um, the person that has had, has its hand up, you know, screaming for money, the, or whatever we might be talking about. The difficulty for me is the person that responds by constantly giving it. You know what I mean? And it, let's say you're a problem ga gambler, but I'm willing to say just as much as fault is the casino that keeps giving you money, knowing full well that eventually we've got your house and your family and you know, blah, 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 blah. So the person who did it, okay, yes, you know, responsible to a degree, great. But I am going to say, but great guy, great guy. He really, really is. He just makes some, some un unfortunate moves. Uh, the other side for me was, you know, the, the, the people or the goading him into it. Um, so, but there you go. But, you know, at the same time, if people get upset with me, you know, it's a, it's a grass to say relevance because we've had that conversation and that conversation evolved around, but this is what people want to see. And this is what people want to do. I get it. And for a long time, you know, the olive leaf has continued and still will be I won't stop. <laughs> you may, but I won't stop. Um, extend it out. Can we get along? I even thought it'd be really cool to get together and, you know, uh, do some versions of training together or, or whatever. Um, 
So yeah, there you go. All right. So where I was going with this, John, is is the person that called us yesterday to share their perspective said he was in that 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 training class, and he said and he said that he would ask questions like why 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 are you fabric forming like that and why are you using that material and they didn't have answers, no answers, Mm. and he thought it was very surprising, like. For, for them to teach this class, because on paper, they're teaching the same thing. And I was like, oh my God, nobody's teaching the same thing as us. We innovated the techniques we're teaching. Dusty innovated his thing. John innovated his thing. I innovated my thing. We're not, we're not looking at other people's training to copy what they're training. We're doing our own thing. But the reverse is true. Other people look to ours and they say, well, you know, it's kind of like lacking originality. This is what people want to know. This is what people want to buy. Well, let's do that. Let's do that. Mm-hmm. So anyways, he was saying that he was asking the why questions and not getting any clear, definitive answers because they didn't know why. They didn't know why because they didn't develop anything they were trying to teach. And I thought that was extremely telling of you always want to go to the source. You want to go to the people that know about whatever it is. And if that's training or if that's design or whatever it is, go to the people that invented whatever it is. So. Yeah. (sighs) Yeah, I see that. Yeah. And that's easy for me, you know, from a sealer point of view. Uh, Again, we're moving to something different. I love the fact that people get a hold of me because I, you know, knowing this technology from the ground up, like literally how it's blended, what temperature, what ingredients, you know, uh, which ones I've specifically worked with companies to develop. And yes, I'm going to use the word innovate um, to go new directions. You know, as you very well seen, as I've opened up another part of the envelope to people like, Hey, you know, here's a way of really pushing this chemistry, which I introduced, I didn't say I introduced, but showed a lot of people at the hoedown, which <laughs> you and uh, Joe missed out on. You're out eating, uh, eating uh, food, <clears throat> but there's a reason I have these answers more than just, Hey, I tried something and guess what? It worked. You're getting the answers from the very foundation of the materials in their creation. And, and that makes a difference or it can, I believe it makes a difference. I think it makes all the difference. So back to concrete, apply coat, soak, apply coat, soak. You want to talk about that? Because a lot of people have been having questions about it and having great success, but. Yeah, absolutely. I know I talked about it quickly last time, but is apply. Well, we all know applying in this case, regardless of which application diluted or full strength because it's funny, I'm just saying, Martin, I love you, man, but you you know your voice messages can get pretty long. <laughs> but I, love I call you, you up because he'll send them to me and you these voice messages. I say, what what did he say, right. John? I can't I can't listen to twelve minutes. What did he say? And give I me, appreciate it. I actually do appreciate it because I would rather him <laughs> on the road as he was and leave me a voice message than get himself in a car accident trying to text me. So True. I'll take that any day of the week, man. True. Uh, but he was asking again. So I'm going to go back to the, some time ago, and this was the message he, he sent me. Was it like, hey, John, I, I thought I heard you some time ago as he listened to the last podcast uh, relaying to the apply torch and soak, apply torch and soak. And he goes, it almost sounds like, and he goes, I can't remember if you said this, that I could cast, let's call it day one, demold day two. But now this goes back to the whole sensor conversation that we're having. So let's say following the steps that we'd like to see, yes, demold on day two. And I actually could seal on day two and then utilize some form of covering and cure because if ICT 
if, if moisture can be part of the derivative allowing the reactions to happen, would that actually increase performance? And the answer is yes. And that is the way I've been doing it for some time now. Cast, cure, pull the next day, process, seal, um, cover, cure, and now you're curing the concrete and the sealer together. But where does that come in? Because that's a whole different thing once we get more information using the, the Wi-Fi sensors and stuff on what, what we now are going to expand information on proper cure. Is that from a sealing point of view, apply the sealer. The moment the sealer dries, you can take, I call it chasing the vapor. Now it's the bigger torches. It's not the, you know, small uh, plumbing torch, but nice and not the, it, it certainly can be but not the huge um, weed torch, but I, I use the handheld and I chase the vapor. If you've ever done it or haven't done it, I'm telling you, it's obvious when you do it, what I'm referring to is chase the vapor. So you take the torch and you chase the vapor. That's getting two reactions. Number one, contact heat. Number two, carbon dioxide. Two very fast reactions that are called a silane silicate reaction to happen. Okay. Then immediately have a bucket of water or, and uh, for the moment, I'm just going to say water, a bucket of water next to you with a microfiber cloth, just sitting in that water soaking, pull that saturated cloth out, slop it down on your piece and move it around and just saturate the crap out of the top of the concrete. Call it a, that's what I'm calling the soak. Then you wring it out, wipe it down one more time. The moment, so you don't leave a lot of wet residue, but the moment that surface dries, you hit your next application of sealer. The moment the sealer dries, you chase it with the torch. The moment you chase it with the torch, you soak it with the water. You know, now, here comes the next question. But John, I've read the vinegar. Well, absolutely. And now we have to get, you know, again, the minefield of information. And I may modify the direction. So again, so they're more universally accepted. The caveat to the vinegar is in dark colors specifically, even the acetic acid can leave some of that white residue. So in those, I was saying in those situations, water is more conducive through the prime steps and then move to an acetic through after your prime through your sealing steps. And that's what's best. But if you're using lighter colors, there is an acetic-based reaction that causes a direct cross-linking of the silicates and the micropolymer that water won't do alone. And I apologize, I skipped over. The water soak is activating a silane-siloxane coupling to the micropolymers. When you see what I'm saying? So the heat and the CO2, silane-siloxane with the silicate, and your water soak, silane-siloxane micropolymer, and the acidic can bridge an entire gap between now the silicate through the micropolymer. God. So, I mean, these I are- I feel like I'm in high school again right now. I know, right? These are all chemical-based things, but um, you'll still get 95% of the reactions following through the, the water. Uh, or, like I said, starting with water, finishing with some version of acetic. I mean, it's, and it's ridiculous because you will take- your sealer application that could probably be done in 30 minutes by doing this start to finish. I'm not encouraging people to like, Ooh, you know, be speed racer and get it done, but I'm saying it can be done. And then you will see amazing turnaround and performance so that you're confident putting your pieces in 
under the kind of conditions that, you know, like I just did, I talked about before where, you know, I knew the Mason was coming in, you know, to put the stone up and there's no question in my mind, wet buckets and slop and grout were going to be falling on my hearth and my mantle. So yeah, more than confident. I actually went up there yesterday afternoon, uh, all excited. Uh, anyway, the contractor called me up, you know, one of those, they do the, I don't know if, cause you send a lot of your stuff out, but where the uh, client will open up the house kind of in a thank you afternoon, you know, a little party to shake hands after all the checks they wrote. <laughs> but, uh, no, it looked beautiful, man. It looked beautiful. Look, I guess what I'm saying, no detriment, no problems. So I'm trying to understand this party. You're talking about they're having like a, a party of all the contractors that are involved. They have them over. Oh, yeah. What, okay. Yeah. You haven't done, you haven't been in those. We got a you lot know, of, well, I mean, we're a small community, so we still do that. The, I thought about doing it. I thought about doing it. Yeah, the contractor will have this kind of like little open house. Yeah. Because in this case, I never met the homeowners. Yeah. Never. See, I thought about doing that. When I started my house build, I thought, I'm going to do that when it's done. And then when I got done, I was like so pissed off at so many of the subcontractors for the shoddy work they did. I'm like, there's no way I'm having these people over. And there's definitely no way I'm like having free beer and wine and making food. (laughs) Screw them. Yeah. I think think my perspective going into it and my perspective after the fact were two different things. Hmm. No, yes, I was just up there. I was getting just shaking hands. Yeah. Which, you know, I could circle this around back to business. See, there's a perfect situation, which I don't think a lot of us discuss. And I know Jason Robertson, um, if he's listening, uh, we'll get him back on uh, talking about a situation, a little minefield that he fell into a minute ago about running business and getting in between or what can happen in between a contractor, a homeowner and yourself doing a project. And he just went through a pretty stressful situation and called me up about contracts and, Hey man, how do you write this? And, Hmm. um, which I'll be honest, see, I don't do contracts. Mines are still handshakes, um, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, But fortunately, yeah, I've, I got great relationships with who I work with and I don't thus far, am I knocking hard enough thus far? uh, And just like Jason, he actually ended up in an extremely positive situation, but for, I don't know how long it was, days, maybe a few weeks, you know, of, you know, knots in your stomach and what do I say and who do I talk to? How do I handle this? You know, that's all business side that we've dealt with. Again, that I think someone else could easily say, well, here's your perfect answer to this, but you've never experienced it yourself. Or at the very least, I'm willing to say, Certainly not experienced it to the same that other people who have been successfully in business for long periods of time. Well, experience matters. That's what we always say. Experience matters. I think so. You know, the funny thing is contracts, you and I differ on this. I believe that contracts, strong contracts, not lengthy contracts per se, but just strong contracts, good fences make good neighbors. Good contracts make a good business transaction. There's no gray area. It's cut and dry. Here's what it is. And if that's on paper and you sign it, there's a lot less room for people to be upset. But my lesson I've learned when it comes to contractors and homeowners is when possible, cut out the contractor and go direct to the homeowner. Leave that middle person out of the process as much as you can. I've had this happen several times where specifically in Phoenix, there was this this builder, I'll, I'll name him, I don't care, a construction zone, that just what they were so difficult to work with, so difficult, they're a general contractor, that... Um, I finally got over it. I just couldn't stand these people anymore. I couldn't stand dealing with them. 
And uh, I had a client come to me through a designer and they came and met with, met with me at my, uh, my shop and we were talking about the project. And then I said, who's your builder? And he said, construction zone. I said, thanks, but no thanks. Um, you know, I, I think you're great. This project looks interesting. I just don't do work with these people. And he's like, really? I said, yeah, really? Um, he's like, what if I hire you direct? I said, that's fine. You can hire me direct, but I will not do a project uh, if, if I have to deal with them because they've just been so difficult to work with over the years. He's like, that's fine. So that's what he did. He dealt directly with me. And there's been several other projects throughout the years, whether it's construction zone or through other builders that I've just, uh, for whatever reason, they just muddy the water. They make it difficult. They put red tape up. They, they make what should be a very simple process much more difficult and long and arduous and getting paid and getting approval. It's just, there's no reason for it. I'm making sinks for your house. It's pretty simple. We choose the concrete. We choose the design. I make it. I deliver it. You have your solid surface people install it. Bada bing, bada boom. It's pretty easy. Why complicate this? It doesn't need to be a six-month ordeal, and I only need to wait six months after it's delivered to get paid. So my advice is if you can, work directly with the client. Don't work through the contractor. I do have contractors uh, general contractors that specify me for a lot of their projects. And I do work with them because they're easy to work with. Um, and so they'll continually to, you know, tell clients when the client's like, Hey, we want concrete sinks. Well, I know, I know this guy, Brandon Gore, we should contact him. That's fine. But for the most part, when possible, when, when you can work directly with the client, you'll cut out a lot of the middleman. The caveat to that is working with designers and architects. Designers and architects aren't general contractors. General contractors are usually trying to get in the middle to get a margin. You know, so general contractors they're, they're going to do what's best for their bottom line. And so if there's somebody, whether it's Corey yeah, or I often Grant, think as, a, as some of your contractors, more like a manager. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're like yeah. a, a car salesman, you know, where they can essentially try to make as much as they can. So essentially, if they have a granite guy that will sell to them for 35 a square foot, but they put in your contract a change order to do granite for 175 a square foot, they're making 140 bucks per square foot on that project that you yeah, don't know you're paying them. Too, but there's a lot of a that. Lot of, uh, a lot of your contractors, like around here, we got some that, you know, mostly they do the pencil in, and they're great at what they do, but they're fantastic in managing. And that doesn't mean they don't, you know, couldn't pound the hammer or whatever the case may be themselves. Because uh, they certainly do. I mean, some are absolutely hands-on from ground up, no question about it. But still, the I look at them as, as major managers and keeping the project on track. Yeah, of course. But they yeah. make a lot of money. My sure. best friend's a, a really high-end home builder, and he has been for 25 years. They're, they make a lot of money, a lot of money by marking up upgrades. They get a price. You don't mm. pay. You're paying the general contractor. General contractor's paying paying the, the subcontractor, right? So the general contractor sends you the bill that includes this, 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 and this. But those prices aren't the prices he paid. He's making a markup on that, and so he has a vested interest to get the cheapest product he can possibly get and charge you the highest price he can get. And that diff that difference in cost is where he's making extra money on the project. You know, and there's yeah. to say all of them do it. No, they don't all do it, but a lot of them do it, and a lot of them make a lot of money doing it. So. Anyways, if you can cut that out of the process, usually the client gets a better product for less cost and a lot less headache. But if you're working with an architect or designer, that's a different scenario. So architect and designer, you don't want to cut them out of the process. If an architect or designer brings a client to you, I work with the architect, architect and designer and let the architect and designer deal with the client. 99% yeah. of the time, they're going to be more knowledgeable on the product than the client is. And so all the issues you can have working directly with the client, such as, why, well, you know, why does the co concrete have some modeling of color? Well, because it's concrete, right? 
That's, that's kind of some of the issues you can run into if you work directly with the client. If you work with an architect or designer, they want concrete for this project because they want that natural material. So they want those things. And so if you get them involved or they're involved from the beginning and you work directly with them, a lot of those kind of questions, concerns, they deal with the client on and you're dealing with these people. And if you get those people on your side and they like you and they like the work that you do and you deliver and you don't take a deposit and not do the project or whatever it is, if you do what you say you're going to do and you do it well, they'll specify you for project after project after project. And I've made my entire business really is with architects and designers who continually specify me on their projects because we do such a good job. But builders, eh, there's a few that specify me, but for the most part, if I can not work with the builder, I try not to. I agree. I, well, I do it now. I think I told you, I mean, in California anyway, being a one man show, I just, you know, I just shy away from workman's comp and all that kind of stuff. And maybe this is everywhere, but in California, yeah, I mean, for a sub to come on board, and this is part of that conversation we had that I had with Jason was like, you know, where do you fall in this line? Are you a sub? You know, are you just providing a service? Are you, because once you do installations, you know, you really are a subcontractor. Oh, 100%. Yeah. You got to be licensed. You have to carry insurance. You have to have right. insurance listing right. the builder as the insured. They want you to have like well, $4 that's million. Well, the builder, yeah, yeah the, the builder is held liable. If you don't have that paperwork, you know, then then they can get in trouble uh, from, I don't know, the contracting board or whomever. So, you know, anyway, th- this is all the the path that we talk about in business. And so now, you know, I'm going to say the, the little gray area is a, I don't install, I deliver. Yeah. If like even those pieces, you know, I, I didn't install, I just brought them up to deliver. Yeah. Curbside uh, delivery. You're a product yeah. manufacturer, a product manufacturer. When I ordered windows through Anderson for my house, they delivered them to my garage. They didn't install them. They didn't unbox them. They didn't do, they brought the windows, Anderson windows, sent them to my house, to my garage. That's how they're delivered on a pallet, Right. They're a product manufacturer. When Anderson Windows specified on a project, Anderson Windows does not need to submit all this insurance listing the builder as the insured because they're not doing anything. They're a product manufacturer. And so when I get specified on these projects, Dusty runs into this all the time. They send in this huge legal packet of all the stuff he needs to fill out and sign and get this insurance and get this and get that. And it drives them bananas. And I just tell them, dude, stop, stop doing that. Tell them you're a product manufacturer and deliver it to the curb. And that's right. as far as it goes. And if you set that boundary from the very beginning, you're saving yourself a world of pain. And he's like, well, I know. Yeah, I know, it is. I know. And, yeah. and um, not just, well, pain from, a, from an obligation point of view. And, uh, you know, anyway, so, yeah, so. Well, pain from legality, pain from liability, yeah, but more, yeah, more pain just from just, time because you're not getting, if you go through all that stuff, and I, I have been down that road a few times, and that's when I learned my lesson. But if you go through all the legal jumping through hoops they want you to go through, and you mm-hmm. contact your commercial insurance company, your broker, and you say, I need to get this in- insurance certificate. And, well, it's going to be $175. Yeah, whatever. Right. You know. you oh, do it all, all adds up, man. And then you show up to the job up. site and you're like, well, you guys don't have your, your orange shirts on. You oh, can't come on a yeah. job site. We had that happen. I did a project for ASU. We showed up. I had all the insurance requirements they required. I had all the stuff. We showed up. They turned us away because we didn't have any neon uh, clothing on. Well, we had hard hats, but we didn't have neon clothing. So we had to leave. Uh-huh. And one of my guys had tennis shoes, not steel toe boots. The guy's like, oh, you have to have steel toe boots. I'm like, dude, we're just dropping off yeah. sinks. Yeah. We're just dropping them off. We it's don't even install them at that a point. Thousand cuts, man. And, and they're crazy. like, I had to rent a rider truck to deliver because it there's a bunch of sinks. And we had to turn around, go to Walmart, get boots and get orange vest and turn around and come back two hours later to do what we could have done in five minutes had they not turned us away. So anyways, my point is, all that to be said, if you're just a product manufacturer, 
you're a product manufacturer, your Pella windows, your Delta faucets, your whatever it is, you're not, you're not a subcontractor. So just let it be that. And if you do that, you're going to save yourself a lot of pain. Are you going to get pushback? Of course, because the general contractor wants to sub out as much of the work to other people as they can. They want to make that your responsibility. I've never heard such a thing. They always install. Well, now you heard it, brother. First time for everything in there. I'm not doing installation. I'm a product manufacturer. End of story. I don't got the time or the resources to install everything we make. So we'll ship it to the job site and you guys can install it. Otherwise, you can find somebody else. Oh, you're just a concrete diva. You're a narcissist. Okay, whatever. I'm also not somebody that's going to, you know, jump through all these legal loopholes and spend all this money and time on something I don't you need to do. You didn't say you weren't. Dude, <laughs> so you actually... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm agreeing with you. Of course I am. Yeah. But uh, I'm also smart when it comes to not getting myself in these quandaries yeah, of, of liability and legal... Uh, yeah. yeah, so anyways. You're uh, right on, man. Well, this has been a long yeah. podcast. Well, there you go. Well, I'm just going to, uh, at least for me, and if you want to go further... Anybody interested, you know, jump on the Kodiak page, ICT page, moving forward for some time. We're going to have a a lot of pretty cool information related to cure and using, you know, Wi-Fi, the graphs. Uh, We're going to talk a lot about, you know, again, retards, retardation, excuse me. And maybe we need to change that. Now I feel uncomfortable even saying. Well, what's funny is back in the day, one of the, one of the funniest things I ever saw Buddy Rhodes products do was in their catalog. They used to, they put a Z on the end of everything. Yeah, it was, uh-huh. yeah. why, why, are you, why are you killing my punchline here, bro? Why are you jumping on my punchline? Uh, so Don't jump on my punchline. Now, right? Don't jump on my punchline. Let me finish this story. All right. <laughs> so they had, they had the Z at the end of everything. And it was like liquid Z plus, you know, everything was GFRZ, Zultra Zils. I don't know. It was like yeah. a stupid marketing direction they went, but whatever. And then they had uh, uh, a, a chemical retarder for concrete. And they called it retards with a Z. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, dude, when I, first time I saw that catalog, I died laughing. I'm like, I cannot believe you guys would name this product retards. And they did. I know. Yeah. Horrible. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So anybody interested? And, uh, so next week I have, at least it says it's supposed to be here next week, some raw materials coming in. Brandon and I and Joe have discussed, you know, showing the, and I have some projects coming that need this to happen. Uh, using Radmix and different sands. So it's those projects specifically that I'm going to be using my Wi-Fi sensors on and continuing on with the conversation uh, and, and with Cure and the whole nine yards. So anybody interested in being a part of it, jump on over. You know, we look forward to it. Just be aware, unfortunately, since we came out to it, Amazon is out of the other ones. I might try Googling today and see if I can find some more off the actual, what was it called? TempCube Temp Cube Pro. TempCube, Temp yeah. yeah. Maybe off the actual TempCube uh, main website. I don't know. Yeah. So, And I also don't know. Maybe they're phasing out the non-digital version. So Maybe. Uh, things I want to hit real quick, John, as we wrap this up, is anybody that wants to have a conversation, anybody that has a different perspective on anything we talk about, whether it's mix, training, the history of concrete, if somebody has a different opinion on it, uh, but anybody that wants to have a conversation about any of this. And when I say conversation, respectful conversation, if you listen to our past podcast, John and I have talked to people that have different opinions on things and we don't, we don't, you know, berate them, beat them up, diminish anything. I mean, you might get challenged a little bit. Well, we'll um, have a conversation, a dialogue. Respectful point of view. Exactly. Respectful dialogue. If anybody wants to have a respectful dialogue, we're not going to do it on Facebook. We're not going to do it on Instagram. That's that's a lose-lose. That's a zero-sum 
you know, game right there. Nobody wins. Mm -hmm. It's just this back and forth volley of one thing after another, and there's no resolution. But if anybody wants to actually have a conversation, a conversation, a public conversation, a dialogue where we talk to each other as humans Mm -hmm. do, and you can hear the inflection of somebody's voice, and there's a back and forth that's natural. Anybody wants to have that? This is an open invitation. Sure. Bob Chatterton, we'd love to have you on. Tom Fisher, we'd love to have you on. Absolutely. Uh, Jeff Gerard, we'd love to have you on. Caleb Lawson, we'd love to have you on. Anytime. Anybody that wants to have a conversation, anybody, we will have you on and we will have a respectful dialogue and we will respect your point of view. We'll talk about it, but we'll respect it. So that is an open invitation, a public invitation. Anybody that wants to have this conversation, you know, if you want to, if anybody wants to say stuff online, that's fine. Say whatever you want to say. It doesn't matter. Uh, But just know we are putting the invitation out for you to have this conversation publicly and we can have a dialogue, a respectful dialogue. Well, yeah. And and I was going to add to that is, and this isn't even about trying to get people on and change your mind because that's not what it's about. I mean, much of what we do is, I don't know, I hate to call it shop talk. That's the other thing I find difficult sometimes when people get sore when they hear things is, I mean, these are things talked about and said all over and phone conversations and, you know, people having their own successes or failures or difficulties um, but bringing it out, I don't know, some, it, it's taken on a different life, which is, again, I always use the word interesting, Yeah. but, uh, yeah, I mean, that's interesting to me, but, um, I just want to make that clear. It's not even trying to change your end. I, I love, I truly enjoy these kind of conversations. And, um, I'm actually talking to one of the guys right now and see if I can get him onto a podcast. One of the guys doing a different version of a, uh, material and the reasons why and what their benefits are and how do they compare? And, um, yeah. So, I mean, that's what it's about. Yeah. Speaking about. of, speaking of upcoming podcasts next week, we're going to have Sammy down in Australia, the Australian distributor, cause, yeah. uh, Kodiak pro materials are getting ready to land in Australia. Yeah. And Sammy is the distributor and we're going to have him on for next week's yeah, podcast. He just got his shop keys. He just got, yeah, he's, uh, uh, really excited. Yeah. In fact, I have a conference call. I think we're going to have to do it next week. I always forget that those guys are a day ahead of us. Uh, a conference call with one of the guys. I'm not, not going to out him because it's a it's a secretive project, but a pretty massive project that they're putting together uh, that he's already going to be adopting. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool, man. I think it's going to be a, a good thing over there. Well, so Sammy's next week. We really should get Andrew Lynn, our business partner at Kodiak Pro, on a podcast. Just discuss legalities and hmm. patents. Yeah, that's a good one. And copyright and trademark and all these different things from an actual lawyer, not somebody that read something on on Google, but somebody actually has you know developed. that deals with this every day in litigation. Exactly. Yeah. All right, buddy. All right, John. Well, let's get this thing dialed in because I'm looking forward to have Ashley and Martin out. Yeah, well, yeah, you're talking about the workshop dates. We'll get that yeah. figured out. Uh, I, hopefully, I hear back on this project for February here in the next. It, I gave them till today, but they need a few more days. So hopefully, I'll hear back in the next few days. If it's going to happen in February, this project, I can't do February, and we'll have to do probably mid-April to get past all the. I say we just go shoot for mid-April. Yeah, but that's a ways out. I'd rather do February if I don't have this project. But we'll see. Let's just see. I'll know yeah, by right next week's after. podcast. Holidays, we'll know for hundred percent. I don't. Know. Well, February, we're well past it, you know. All right, buddy. All right. Right on. Well, as a good talking to you, um, I actually have a phone call to Sammy today, so. Cool. 
All right. All right well, right. I'm sure. I'm sure. You know, we we had intended to maybe put out some fires on this podcast. I think we probably just blew air into them and ignited them even more. But anybody that that has a different opinion, please, 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 come on. Let's discuss it. Respectful discussion. We'll listen to you. We'll we'll hear your side. We'll discuss our side, and maybe we can come to uh, a, a more mutual understanding of both sides. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right, John Schuler. Okay. Till next Adios, week. Adios, my friend. Adios, amigo.